Welcome to the latest edition of the Buff Zone podcast, and uh, I am Brian Howell. I'm joined by my colleague, Pat Rooney. And Pat, uh, we call it the latest edition, but it's been a while. I mean, we, we've gone through a whole lot of things since our last podcast. Just um, It was such a whirlwind with uh, the hiring of Deion Sanders, the holidays and everything. And so this is our first one in quite a while, but welcome back. It's a new year and a new podcast, Brian Howell. That's right. It's the first prime podcast uh, for Buff Zone, and <laughs> I, I, I guess we'll call it that. But uh, there is a lot to discuss because we, uh, you know, we haven't done one since uh, since Deion Sanders was hired as the head coach, and um, that's shame on us. We probably should have done one, but we've been busy providing a lot of written coverage and things like that. But um, in this podcast, we're going to talk about just kind of the first seven weeks of uh, Dion's tenure here. Um, but we're also going to talk about basketball because we are in the thick of basketball season. And that's what you've been spending a lot of your time on. And I've been spending a lot of my time on the women's basketball team. So we're going to talk about all those things uh, today. And, uh, you know, before we get into football real quick, you know, Pat, you actually got to see a buzzer beater yesterday. Well, almost a buzzer beater yesterday. So that was kind of good. A little more than four seconds left, and KJ Simpson just stepped right up, uh, came off a Luke O'Brien screen, and, and knocked it down. And they really needed that win. Uh, goes without saying, they had lost three in a row. Uh, you know, kind of threatening to, to spiral out of control here, and before heading out to a, a road trip. You know, last year they played really well at Oregon. Obviously, Oregon State's struggling, uh, but the Buffs have not played well on the road this season. Um, you know, certainly in, in true road games, uh, they've, they've, they've really struggled. So, um, uh, much need to win against, uh, against Washington state and we'll see, you know, if they can get it together on the road this week, still plenty of time to make a run. Uh, you know, they're still in the mid sixties in the net, plenty of time to make a run at an IT bid. You know, I don't think this team has an NCAA tournament bid. I maybe oversold them at the beginning of the year on that. I, I thought they'd be better than what we've seen so far. Uh, at least a little bit, um, but there's still plenty of basketball to go. Uh, you know, their, their their net is not terrible for you know that they're getting a lot of mileage out of that Tennessee win early in the season. And you know, last year this team took off after a three game losing streak right about the same time in the calendar. So uh, we'll see if this group can respond in a similar way. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about that uh, later on the podcast. We'll get deeper into some basketball stuff, but uh, let's start. Uh, let's kind of get going with some football because. Obviously, it's been um, a pretty exciting seven weeks around here uh, since Deion Sanders was hired, Coach Prime, as the uh, head coach of the Buffs. And um, you were on the road when that when that uh, when that press conference happened. Uh, where were you, Washington? I was. I was. You're uh, Washington. That's right. Kind of shooting you out from a hotel room in downtown Seattle after a <laughs> day in, in, in Seattle, uh, a Buffs loss, turnover filled. Uh, the theme has kept going since then. Um, but yeah, I, I you know was was kind of following along, and, and obviously you had a lot of copy coming in, and uh, uh, definitely you know a, a pretty wild day. Uh, you know, I, I can only imagine what it was like being there. Yeah, well, the the best thing for the men's basketball team is I think uh, hardly anybody watched that game because uh, they were so focused on Deion Sanders that day. But yeah, it, it was a wild day, and uh, you know. I've never seen anything like it, but you know, it's, I've never seen anything really like the last seven weeks. I mean, it's been amazing watching uh, this transformation uh, with the CU program. They haven't even had a practice yet, uh, let alone a game, but you know, I had a chance to go down to Atlanta and spend uh, about three days uh, with Jackson state, you know, for his last game, Deion Sanders last game there, um, get a chance to learn about his program and, and really 
meet with him. I got to meet with him one-on-one uh, a little bit, you know, a couple different times. And um, I thought it was cool just to meet Dion rather than just coach prime and, you know, kind of meet him a little bit and get to have him know me a little bit, but also me know him. And um, I've been impressed, Pat. Like, I think my biggest thing going into Atlanta, especially was like, how much substances are really behind this guy? And I came away from that saying to myself, there's a ton. I mean, the, this guy has a lot of substance. I mean, the, 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 the players love him. The support staff loves him. Uh, everyone that I talked to mentioned the, the big impact he's made on them uh, just as a person. And so um, I've been a little, um, I don't know about surprise, uh, but for lack of a better term, I guess I'll say surprise at like how much substance there is behind Deion Sanders, just because I didn't know much about him other than prime time. Right. It's going to be interesting getting to know him more as uh, time unfolds here. You know, and for me, I, you know, the biggest thing for me, kind of the, the reaction to all this, and, and certainly I'm not the first person to say this, is just h- how quickly the dialogue has, has changed around this program. You see the kind of recruits they're, they're bringing in almost every day. It's like, wow, I can't believe they're getting this guy. You know, who would have thought this months ago? Uh, the, the overall staff and, you know, just the general excitement, you know, people are talking about Colorado football again, you know, they're talking about, you know, on network NFL broadcast, there's the coach of the Colorado Buffaloes on the screen. You know, you can't, uh, you, I don't know, you can't really put a price tag on, on that kind of exposure. And obviously it's exposure that has not been seen in, in Boulder in quite some time. So, you know, we have plenty of months to dissect uh, just, just how quickly, Things might turn around on the field, how quickly they'll be competitive again in the Pac-12. But as far as rekindling interest in the program, uh, rekindling excitement around the program, that was, you know, there hadn't been a lot of it in a long time. And it was kind of sinking to even new lows amid all that. Uh, to, to see the dramatic turnaround we've seen in, in those sorts of matters has, you know, it's been really quite remarkable over, a, you know, a, a relatively short amount of time. Well, yeah, and th- that's the thing is that covering this program for the last 13 years, which we know has not been a great 13 years, it's bad when they're hitting new lows because it's been pretty low, you know, and so when they're hitting, you know, going even lower than what it had been, I mean, to me, I thought the 2011 season uh, was as, about as bad as it, it could get around here, uh, but then this last year there were times like, geez, I'm not sure which of those teams would win between uh, I think it was 2011 and and 20 uh, and 2022. So I'm not sure which team would win there, but I mean, it, it got pretty low and it is amazing what's gone on. I mean, uh, the ticket sales are through the roof. The merchandise sales are through the roof. As you mentioned, the exposure, I mean, he's been on, you know, morning shows. He's on ESPN's uh, pregame show for the college football national title. Uh, he's on the Manning cast. Uh, I mean, just, and he's, and he's wearing CU gear for all of it. So, you couldn't ask for better advertising than that, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, for uh, the team that has the track record, as you said, uh, 13 years, everyone can have a rough decade, Brian Howell, but uh, <laughs> for a team with the track record of, of, of this program to uh, even be in these sorts of, of conversations, it's astounding. You know, uh, as you know, you might know, my, my wife is a uh, Buffs alum and, you know, is, is kind of the fan of the house. And, you know, she's, uh, uh, she's getting the kids fired up and is, you know, totally excited about football again. You know, she's probably more of a casual fan than the, the fine folks you and I deal with on a frequent basis. But um, uh, even, you know, to watch the excitement, uh, you know, surrounding 
uh, you know, alumni that you have, have kind of turned off from the program for a long time. Uh, you know, it, it, it's quite a feat to, to see how that's changed in a short amount of time. And I think one of the biggest questions uh, that I've been getting lately as we're seeing all these uh, these newcomers you know, come aboard is how in the world are they doing this? I mean, how is it that they can actually, you know, add this many players in one offseason? And, you know, as it stands right now, at least by my count, I've got them at 94 projected scholarship players and they're looking at more. And so they're probably going to get up to close to 100, but they can only have 85, which means that some guys are going to, you know, have to get pushed out or, or leave at some point. And so um, it, it's kind of that new world of college football, though, isn't it, Pat? That I mean, you know, this is sort of what the players asked for. Uh, they wanted this transfer rule. They wanted NIL. Um, they become more like, you know, it's more like a business than it ever was. I mean, it, the the old school college football where, you know, you come together as a team, you build that team, and, and you work together for four or five years, that's kind of gone. I mean, it's the business is if you can't play, you got to get out of here. Well, that's the business of it now, and, yeah, that's kind of what the players ask for. It's basically, you know, it's, it's free agency uh, essentially is what it is. Uh, I, I don't – you know, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's wrong. It's just different, like you uh, alluded to. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that open up for the student athletes, but there's going to be some unintended consequences as well. And that's kind of what we're going to see with this roster. You know, uh, to touch on one point, I, 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 I know you and I have talked about this, but, uh, you know, much was made about the, the coach Tim Brewster's speech at that first team meeting last week kind of went viral having the team stand up and sit down and, you know, it was amazing to me. Now, now me personally, I kind of thought it was silly, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Um, you know, but there was, there was a columnist, for instance, in, in the kind of the PAC 12 coverage area in, in another market that tweeted something about, boy, I hope Rick George steps in and kind of nips this. I'm paraphrasing here, but kind of nips this in the bud before, you know, it, you know, this, this gets too out of control. And I'm thinking Rick George brought these guys in to change the culture of this program. <laughs> He's not going to step in on the first day to say, Oh, you can't do that with something that was pretty, you know, I, I do think it was silly, but I don't think it was harmful. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think it rose to the anywhere near to the level of requiring administration meddling whatsoever. Right. Uh, that's kind of, point the, the the you know coach sanders and and his staff were brought in to change things in boulder what has been happening hasn't been working and if they want to be relevant in football again some sacrifices are going to have to be made yeah i agree with you and I, you know i wasn't the greatest fan of of that little tactic either i thought it was kind of hokey but um, it didn't i don't think it did any harm you know i'm, I'm like you in that regard that you know i saw a lot of former players basically their comment was every one of those players is going to make fun of him for that forever. And they might. And in that regard, it's a little hokey, right? But it doesn't do any harm. You know, the bigger thing is, you know, for those players is what is Brewster like when he sits down with a one-on-one, how does he coach them? And that's the case for all these guys. And I think that Dion's built a good staff. It's an experienced staff and uh, you know, he's, they're bringing in players and that's the biggest thing is you got to have guys, right? And, it's sort of the it's that old saying the Jimmys and the Joes is better than the X's and O's, right? And they're yeah. they're getting better Jimmys and Joes right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. The roster makeover in a short amount of time has been nothing short of astounding. And, you know, we'll see. We have plenty of time to kind of dissect what that'll mean on the field. Obviously, they're not done adding at this point. So, um, you know, a a lot of guys moving up from from Jackson State will be a new level of competition. Who knows how it all work out? But, you know, what they've been able to accomplish as far as changing the talent level, you know, and, and as we talked about changing the excitement level, the interest level around this program and, you know, less than two months so far is uh, uh, it, it's been, you know, it's been really interesting to watch. That's for sure. Yeah. And one, one quick thing on, as far as like talent addition um, this last week, they obviously got Cormani McLean um, to commit. He was uh, he's the number one cornerback recruit in the country by 24 seven sports had been committed to Miami and uh, you know, they got him to flip. He still got a sign, but uh, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, you look at what, what he did with McLean and then obviously uh, you know, Travis Hunter last year. Are, are you kind of excited like everybody else to see this, uh, this cornerback duo? Oh, absolutely. Um, how can you not be right? Um, you know, seeing NFL caliber talent, uh, and, and, you know, playing on opposite sides, you know, depending on formations and all that, but playing on the same defense uh, is going to be, you know, it's going to be remarkable to watch. I'm sure I'm, I'm, you know, a fan of of watching great players as much as anyone else. So I'm certainly excited to to see what unfolds this fall. Well, and on that point, you you know, I'm a stats guy and I kind of look up a lot of different things, but, you know, Cormine McLean, Travis Hunter have been the number one cornerback recruits in the country the last two seasons. So I looked up, all right, who have been the others? Here's the last five before those two. Kool-Aid McKinstry of Alabama was an All-American this year. Right before that was Keely Ringo of Georgia, All-SEC, just declared for the draft. He's considered one of the top 10 corner prospects in the draft this year. Right before that was Derek Stingley of LSU, All-American, the number three pick in the draft this last year. Right before that, Pat Sertan. I don't know if anybody's heard of him, but he plays for the Denver Broncos. Uh, with number nine pick, he was an, he's an All Pro this year, All American at Alabama, and right before that was Jeff Okuda, who was an All American at Ohio State and the number three pick in the draft. So that's pretty good company. If those guys can be anywhere near what the previous five were, the Buffs are going to be in pretty good shape at corner. Yeah, pretty amazing uh, that they've gotten number one guys from from two straight, straight classes at the same position. Uh, and I'm with you, man. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I, and we're going to get more into that, obviously, as, as the season goes along. And as we get closer to spring ball, we'll break down you know, more of the football and, and things like that. But anything else on, on football that you want to talk about before we move on to basketball? No, just looking forward to spring practice as well and uh, you know, seeing what the final final kind of roster configuration looks like. And, and obviously, there's going to be some attrition. So uh, something also to look out for as, as the spring moves on. Probably some tough decisions that still have to be made. Uh, you know, maybe with some players that uh, Buffs fans have have gotten to know and respect so far. So uh, something to keep an eye on as, uh, you know, the next few weeks unfold. Yeah, and one last thing in regard to spring ball, um, I get asked this a lot, uh, when it's going to start. We don't know yet, but um, I would say to fans, uh, look at probably late March, mid to late March for a starting point and probably most of spring ball uh, being in April at some point. So um, spring break is, is around that. I think that last week of March, Look for it to be around then, maybe a, a week of practice before that, and then the rest after. But um, probably mid March, we're probably a, 
almost a couple months away from that. But um, move on to basketball, Pat, and we're going to start with the men, and then we'll get to the women. But uh, the men, as you as we start off uh, talking about early in this podcast, uh, coming off a good win, uh, maybe didn't play their play great. I mean, uh, I don't know how great of a win it is when you need a, a almost a last second shot to beat a losing team at home, but. For this men's basketball team that's been so up and down and had lost three in a row, uh, that was a nice little shot in the arm yesterday. As, as we're talking on a Monday, this was on Sunday. Yeah, in many ways, it might have been a season-saving shot by K.J. Simpson, his three-pointer at the end to win it. Tristan De Silva had a big game. Um, but, you know, it's funny. We were joking at the, you know, kind of making fun of ourselves at the beginning of this podcast, how it's been a while uh, since we've done one. Um, and it was right before, you know, coach Sanders was hired. Uh, but whatever we talked about on that podcast in regards to the basketball team's inconsistencies, uh, that really hasn't changed (laughs) in the time since we've, uh, last talked about them, you know, they're up, they're down. Uh, they looked pretty good during that home sweep of, of, of the Oregon schools a couple weeks back. Uh, you know, that was, but that was coming off of, uh, a split on the road where you had a chance to, to get a sweep and instead stub your toe against Cal, who's just been downright awful this year. Um, you know, losing at the LA schools, maybe not a terrible results going into it, but you know, the way it unfolded and, and committing over 20 turnovers in both games, uh, you know, when you play good enough defense to, to maybe pull off an upset on the road, uh, it just gotta be frustrating for fans to kind of watch this up and down nature of this team. Um, but that being said, the other side of that equation is it, this team, I also think is fully capable of, of winning a few games in a row here. Uh, they, they knock off Washington state. They're maybe getting a little healthier. Jalen Gabadon made his return against Washington state. Uh, Javon Ruffin, who's been playing well lately, uh, has, has missed a couple games with a knee injury that was, uh, considered to be minor. We'll see if he's back at practice this week and, and maybe back in the mix for these, uh, games at Oregon. So getting a little bit healthier. Um, you know, they played well at Oregon last year. The Oregon State's a, another team you'd think they'd match up well against. They get the Bay Area teams at home the following week. Uh, so if there's a time to maybe string some wins together, you know, this team did it last year. It was around this time of the year last year. They looked down and out. They got rolled at Washington State uh, as part of a, a three-game losing streak. And uh, soon after that, kind of took off, managed to cement an NIT bid and, and finish strong down the stretch. And, uh, uh, you know, anytime, you know, that we've seen this team play well, I think everyone knows that they have it within them to put a run together. We just haven't been able to see them do it uh, for more than a few games in a row. Yeah. And I think for me, that's the most frustrating part is, and I haven't watched them uh, nearly as much as you have. Obviously, you've watched every game, but um, it, it, as I just thought, going into the season that the i mean and i look at it now this team is too talented to be 12 and 9 right now and yeah. you know and it's not even really the fact that they're 12 and 9 it's what some of those losses are and you know you've written so much about it throughout the season but uh yeah, so many of, the, of those nine losses are just head scratchers like how in the world did you lose that game you know you mentioned uh the the loss at cal which is still sitting here at three and 17 and one of those wins was against the buffs um you know, I mean, go all the way back to early November and you got Grambling State and then UMass and then Boise, you know, the ASU loss at home that they had and then um, coughed up, you know. Uh, there's so many of those losses that they're just piling up now and you're like, 
why is this team doing that? And I, I mentioned to you when I've watched this team, I don't think this is a very smart basketball team right now. And is that kind of the the difference between good buffs and bad buffs is when they when they play smart, they actually play pretty well? I think that's a big part of it. And I'm I'm finishing up my piece for for today, kind of following up on the game. You know, they had they finished with 17 turnovers against Washington State yesterday. Still too high a number, but you know, they had 11 of those, uh, like in the first, uh, trying to get it exact here, but it was like in the first, uh, not quite 15 minutes, like basically the first 13 plus minutes, just a few seconds more than that. But basically the first 13 minutes, they had 11 turnovers. Uh, and then for the final 27, they only had six. And, you know, not long after they committed that, 11th turnover in, in 13 minutes they were down by 10 they stopped turning over the ball and then all of a sudden they're back in the game again so uh you know to me that's the biggest thing with this team it, you can shoot 40 percent or whatever they did at, at, in, in the games at la you know they didn't shoot the ball great in either of those games but they played good enough defense that if you just if you cut the turnovers in half and still shoot 40 percent in those missing possessions you probably score enough points to, to win those games. You know, we've seen enough of this team now. They're not going to be a great offensive team. Um, they don't have a lot of balance. I looked up one note that I'm going to be putting in this story today. Uh, Javon Hadley, who's been a fine uh, acquisition from the junior column ranks, but right now he's the third leading scorer at 8.5 points a game. Uh, they haven't had a third leading scorer average that few of points uh, since Austin Dufault was a freshman in the 2008-2009 season. So there hasn't been a lot of consistent support behind De Silva and Simpson. You know, we thought this team would be a team where, you know, different guys would be able to step up on different nights. That hasn't happened very often after, uh, you know, beyond Simpson and De Silva. Um, You know, Javon Ruffin's had a couple good games lately. Uh, you know, Lawson Lovering had, you know, a great game at, at USC and at Stanford. But again, those have been more like anomalies than, than, than consistent production. Uh, Nick Clifford is really struggling through his junior season. Uh, so, I, you know, in order to make a run, I think and Javon Hadley's been fine. I'm not trying to pick on him. But the point was, is there just hasn't been a lot of support throughout the rotation uh, for that offense after Simpson and De Silva and uh, you know, in terms of your point, yes, I think the playing smart has a lot to do with it. When this team doesn't commit turnovers, uh, they're still not going to be great offensively, but they're generally good enough to get the job done if they keep the turnovers down. And, you know, for the most part, they've been playing defense, but again, uh, playing defense well, I should say. But again, they always have that that one head scratch of the game like they did against Washington the other day. The defense wasn't very good. And, and the game at Cal, the defense wasn't very good at all. Um, but it was, uh, you know, against the LA teams, even though they didn't win. So, um, a lot of up and downs all over the place with this team, but, you know, we'll see if they can get, you know, some aspects of those games consistent down the stretch here. You know, if they do, I still think they have a chance of landing in the NIT. I think an NCAA tournament berth is going to be pretty hard at this point. You know, they still have to play at Arizona. They still have the LA teams here. In Boulder, uh, you know, certainly a, a chance to, to do some damage and, and maybe make a point otherwise. But, um, you know, I think if they beat some of the winnable teams still in the future, uh, near future here and, and and do play a little bit more consistently, an NIT berth still certainly isn't out of the question. Their, their net isn't terrible for a team that's 12-9 and nine at this point. 
Yeah, you know, and, and to your point, I mean, obviously they won on Sunday. Uh, they, they've got a real shot to win the next four and maybe build up a five-game winning streak, but it depends on which bus team shows up on a given night. And their next game is on Thursday at Oregon, which is another one of those teams. It's like, well, which Oregon team is going to show up, right? I mean, this Weird. is a I was team. Th- I was thinking earlier today, it's like you wonder if this is like a Pac-12 NIT <laughs> elimination game right. against because you're right. It's another team that you don't know which one's going to show up and you don't know which direction they're going to go down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, this is an Oregon team that I mean, they have almost a 20-point win against Arizona, which obviously is one of the best teams in, in the country. They've also got you know a win on the road at Utah, which is currently sitting second in the conference. But the other day they lost to Stanford, which is 11th in the conference. So, uh, you know, which Oregon team is going to show up? So I think Thursday is a, is a really pivotal game for this Buffs team to go on some sort of run because then you go to Oregon State. And again, as you mentioned, road is, is the road, but Oregon State's not very good. And then you get Stanford and Cal at home, and those are the last two teams. I mean, frankly, Oregon State, Stanford, and Cal are all tied at 2-7 and seven in the conference at the bottom. So if you can beat Oregon, you got a chance to then beat the three worst teams in the conference three games in a row and uh, maybe build some momentum. And if there is some sort of outside shot at the NCAA tournament, it's almost got to be these next four where you build some momentum and take that momentum into what is a tough stretch down, uh, down the stretch of the season. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you know, if you do want to maybe kind of, you know, play the guessing game on that, they're obviously going to have to, pull off some upsets down the way here to, to play their way into the NCAA tournament. They've got UCLA at home. They've got Arizona on the road, even Arizona state on the road, uh, Utah on the road would be good wins to get. Um, but those kind of become a moot point. If you don't take care of business against some of these other teams, they have too many bad losses on their resume to uh, pile up anymore. You know, they, they kind of need, you know, I don't know if running the table at this point is what they need for an NCAA tournament berth, but it's got to be something close to that, including some wins, uh, you know, against UCLA or a shocker in Tucson or, or something like that uh, to, to balance out some of the bad losses, but they could no longer afford to, you know, kind of stub their toe against some of these bottom of the conference type teams uh, you know, even if they did kind of rise up and, and, and pull off an upset later, uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't do the trick at that point. Yeah, well, obviously this weekend is a big one for them uh, to make any sort of uh, you know postseason run. I mean, probably even to get to the NIT, like you mentioned, potential NIT elimination game. But this is a big weekend for them uh, at the Oregon schools. Uh, and then, uh, real quick before we go to women's basketball, anything else on the men? No, looking forward to road trip. Um, you know, the, the Oregon, Oregon State. So even Tad Boyle was joking the other day. Hard to believe we're already you know, kind of toward the latter stages of, of January uh, at this point. So it's going fast. Yes, it is going fast. And uh, yeah, it, it is remarkable that, you know, next week is already February. And but uh, we're on the way. So the, the women's basketball team, meanwhile, as we're doing this on Monday, they did slip, but they're still in the AP top 25 second week in a row. They're at number 25 after losing uh, at Stanford yesterday, which is never – that's not a bad loss because Stanford really hardly ever loses at home. And uh, I think they've won 40 of their last 41 games against Pac-12 competition or something like that. And the Buffs have never won a Maples Pavilion, unlike the men, right? But uh, still number 25. They're still number 23, I believe, on the, in the net rankings. Uh, they're in a really good shot, a really good uh, – 
spot right now um, as they're as they're looking forward to their postseason. This is an NCAA tournament team. They just can't stub their toe along the way. Yeah, they've been on a good run. Obviously, like you said, kind of came to a halt there at Stanford. Um, no, no, no shame in that kind of loss. But uh, they've been playing well of late. Um, you know, you know, and I like that Coach Jr. Payne kind of challenged this group in. You know, about a month ago, late December, they were picking up some wins, but doing it, uh, you know, less than stylish fashion, uh, certainly weren't playing up to the standards that they've kind of set for themselves after reaching the NCAA tournament last year and, and looking to get back this year. So, uh, you know, the team responded. It's been playing really well of late. I like that inside tandem of, uh, um, you know, Ernest Vonley has been a great pickup to, to kind of balance out with Quay Miller. Uh, Jalen Sherrod has been playing well and Frida Foreman, you know, she didn't shoot the ball great from long range last year, but she's had some huge gains so far this season and uh, really seems to be putting a, a, a solid season together. Yeah. Quay Miller, I think is playing, you know, at a you know really high level. I mean, she's one of the better individual having one of the better individual seasons I've seen since I've covered this team. Uh, I think she's playing really well. You know, the buffs have two top 15 wins in the last couple of weeks, they got a chance for another one on Friday night with number nine UCLA coming to town. It's going to be a tough one to avoid, you know, a second loss in a row. Uh, they've, they've got to beat the Bruins, but I think they match up maybe a little bit better with them, uh, but an opportunity again for them to have a good weekend and uh, get some momentum back. But uh, I mean, this team's capable of it. I've been impressed with this team. I know you probably haven't seen a ton of them, but uh, you know, this team is fun to watch and I, I I'm in, I'm excited to watch them play defense every time I, I watch them play. And uh, they've got better offense than they had last year. I actually think this is a better CU team than the one that made the tournament last year. It does seem to be a more well-rounded team. They seem to have, uh, you know, kind of kind of more weapons offensively. Uh, they generally play smart and uh, have, you know, they have a lot of un- unselfish players. Uh, you know, Kendall Weta is not someone that needs the – have a big scoring game to uh, have, have an impact on, on, on wins. And, and they have a few players that, that fit that description. They all seem to play well within their roles. They don't seem to try to do too much outside of their roles. Uh, and they have a lot of balance as well. You know, we talked about the men's team, you know, we thought they'd have more balance and it hasn't really worked out, but the, the women's team, uh, they, 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 I love that inside tandem, but they've also kind of shown that, they can have a different player get hot on a, on a different, you know, any, any given night and, uh, you know, should serve them well as they continue kind of mowing through Pac-12 play here. Yeah, 10 games left, and all they got to do is go 500 down the stretch uh, to get a 20-win uh, regular season. Now, 500 in the Pac-12 at any point is is difficult because a lot of those games are going to be against ranked teams. But, uh, again, this team is a lot of fun to watch, and uh, they got a big weekend coming up. The L.A. schools coming in. Friday night, number nine, UCLA, and then Sunday at noon, USC. So it should be a, uh, a fun weekend of, of women's basketball in Boulder as you are headed out to Oregon. That's the one thing about this time of year. I'm usually uh, watching them from a hotel room. Or last <laughs> night, actually, I watched most of the first half uh, kind of sitting there at the event center, watching it on my phone while – Watching the fellas warm up, uh, waiting for that game to start. So uh, I'm usually watching off in a hotel somewhere, but been trying to tune in. Their games are entertaining. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun down the stretch, and uh, I'm excited to see what this men's team can do because I think they are very talented. If they can, uh, you know, make some sort of run down the stretch, the women are going to be exciting, and then uh, just around the corner is spring football. So 
a lot of fun things going on. And I think there's a little more energy with us, even from the last time we did a podcast, Pat, because there wasn't a whole lot of energy going on uh, you know, with the way that football team was at that point. Uh, the men's basketball team was so up and down. Um, they still are. But I mean, you know, uh, they're just there's just a better feel around this right now than there was the last time we did a podcast. Well, and we promise uh, it won't be as long this time. No, it will not. We'll we'll chat more basketball and football as we go forward, but that'll do it for this edition of the uh, the Buff Zone podcast. And uh, Pat, have a safe trip this week. Thanks. Uh, we will talk to you soon. I'm sure Brian Howell and as usual, folks. Thanks for tuning in.